Good morning. It's good to be here again at Fine Road. There's always, there's always a good welcome as you come into this place. It's not just in Wales, where they say there'll be a welcome in the hillside. It says you come into Fine Road, there's a good welcome as well. As you come in, walk in, take your seat, and then get a cup of tea and coffee and a biscuit afterwards. Whenever we start a Sunday service, we always say welcome, don't we? We say welcome to this service. This morning we're starting a new five-part sermon series called Welcome. Welcome is one of those aspects in life that is part of all of our daily lives. People come to your home and, and you welcome them. You, you, you open the door, you might invite them in, you might take their coat, you offer them a drink or, or a meal. You engage in conversation and you listen to them and many other things. You, you welcome them. Go to a restaurant and usually somebody at the, the front of house, I think they call it, will welcome you. I don't know if you've watched the TV programme, The Savoy. Has anybody seen the programme on TV called The Savoy? All about the behind the scenes at the hotel that I will never ever get to visit. But you know, you see it. And you see the staff saying things like, we will do whatever it takes to make a guest feel welcome. Whether you're just going there for a drink or whether you're going there to stay in one of the suites that has individual butler service and costs however many thousands of pounds every night, they will welcome you. Go to a supermarket and do your shopping and you often get a welcome at the checkout where the staff member says, Hello. Are you having a good day? Have your hair cut? And the hairdresser or barber welcomes you. Would you like a tea or a coffee? Which I've never understood in a hairdresser's or a barber's because there's hair everywhere. So why would you want a cup of tea or coffee where you know there's going to be hair, bits of hair, in your drink? That might not even be your hair. It could be somebody else's hair. They say, welcome, sit down, have a cup of tea, read our out-of-date magazines, come and be welcomed into this place. In our workplaces, we, at the start of each new day, or if we, we see customers or clients, we welcome them. A good welcome encourages you to go back. A, a bad welcome encourages you to stay away, doesn't it? A number of years ago, in 2011, for my 40th birthday, I said to Jem, I want to go to one of those posh restaurants where you need to get your phone out and Google what's on the menu, because you don't understand what it is, you know? So we went up to London, and we went to this, I won't say the name of it, and we went to this restaurant, and you go in, and somebody welcomes you, and you go up in a lift, and we went to the bar, and they were very welcoming, and they asked us what we wanted to drink, and we got a drink. And they said the words, just go and find a seat anywhere. Just go and sit down. So we could see down the end of this restaurant, there was a seat against the window, overlooking the whole of London, lit up with lots of lights, and absolutely beautiful. So we went and just took our drinks and sat down. Only ever being used to a Weatherspoons or something like that. So we, we sat down in this restaurant, as we sat down, a member of staff, I kid you not, from the entrance ran as fast as he could towards us and said to us, why are you sitting down? 
You don't sit down until we take you to sit down. This table could be for somebody else. When we said sit down, we meant in the bar area. And he literally escorted us all the way back to the bar area where everybody was looking at us. Let me tell you, that put a dampener on the evening right there. So much so, that then when it was our turn for our table, he took us back to the same table, which completely confused me. So I wrote to the manager when we got home and I made a complaint. He was so apologetic. He offered us to come back to have whatever we wanted on the menu. Champagne, the works, and there would be no price. But we wouldn't go back. Because we were made to feel so unwelcomed. I've been in churches all my life. That's 52 years. I know you're surprised at that age, aren't you? You thought it was a lot higher or lower? It's, it's not a game of the prices, right? So we won't go on there. <laughs> but I've been a minister in five different churches over the past 23 years. And without fail, every single one of those churches have said they're a welcoming church. Every single one of them. And to a lesser and greater degree, that's been largely true. But what they actually mean is when somebody comes to the door on a Sunday somebody will shake their hand and say, welcome, and will smile. But even while welcome includes that, it's far deeper than that. And we can easily get it wrong. I went to a church once to preach in South Wales. When I was training for ministry in Cardiff, we used to go to a different church every week uh, as part of our training and preaching the church and some of that was in the valleys and some of it was in the city. And I was preaching in a church in the South Wales Valleys. And when I got there, I said hello to the person welcomed me and I said hello to them. And I said, do you have somewhere where I could go to pray? I didn't think it was a complicated question. She said to me, yes, if you go outside of the front door, turn right and you'll see there's a little alleyway. Go down that alleyway and it's the first door on your right. So that's what I did. I went out of the church. I went down the little alleyway, I saw the first door, I opened the door, I went in and I shut the door, and I was in an outside toilet. I didn't need to go to the toilet. I literally stood there for a moment or two thinking, so what do I do? I could pray in a toilet, you can pray anywhere. But I was expecting one of the deacons or somebody to come with me and we would pray together. So, and I didn't need to go, I... I just went back out and went into the church excuse me, she said, I said, I didn't need the toilet, I wanted somewhere to pray. Oh, she said, I thought you were just being polite. <laughs> I said, no, if I needed the toilet, I would have said the words, have you got a toilet, please? <laughs> Churches can be strange places, can't they? I went to a church with Jem and the kids once when the children were little, to a, a, a village church in Devon. We went with some friends who were supporting that church and the four of us walked in and we, I think we doubled the congregation. We certainly lowered the age of it. It was a church that had no toilet and no water, which when you've got an 18-month-old who's coming out of nappies is an interesting scenario, let me tell you that. And so instead of tea and coffee after the service, because they have no water, they serve sherry and fruit juice. I thought it was very civilised. I felt like it was an episode of Vicar of Dibley, but it was lovely. I felt very welcomed. I thought, why can't we introduce this into all the churches? A little aperitif after the service, before you go home. 
We can all think of situations where we have felt welcome, can't we? Whether that's starting a new school, a, a new job, a new relationship, where we meet the family. Oh, that's awful, isn't it? When you meet the family of the person that you're dating for the first time. I'm sure some of you can think back to those days. I'm dreading Kezia and Ruben bringing home their first boyfriend or girlfriend. When Kezia's about 45, I'm just not looking forward uh, to that. Or you meet a new set of neighbours as you move house. Uh, meet a new church. Even just walking into a restaurant. Being truly welcomed is an important aspect of life and it speaks powerfully to us when it's done well. Perhaps you can think of situations where you've experienced a really good welcome. And then you can think of situations where you've experienced a really bad one. When I was training for ministry, a, a colleague of mine used to, when he would go to these different churches, he would always, uh, on a Sunday, would always get there and walk in and say hello and set his stuff up. And then he would arrange for his wife and children to come maybe ten minutes after him. So whoever was welcoming him didn't know that they were connected to him. And he went to one church one Sunday and he was due to preach at the morning and the evening service. And he went in and he got a, such a warm welcome. He thought he was absolutely amazing. And he, he, he preached and his wife and children walked in and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. So he was driving home in the car. He said, so what did you think of that then, wife and kids? I said, oh, that was awful, wasn't it? He said, what do you mean? And we sat down and suddenly ran up to us and said, excuse me, you're sitting in my seat. Can you move, please? This was a, a fam- for all intents and purposes, as far as this church knew, this was a young family that was looking for a church. He contacted the secretary when he got home. He said, just so you know, you can find somebody else to preach this evening. I'm not coming back. Because my wife and children have never felt so unwelcomed in the house of God. Welcome is at the heart of the Christian faith. We, we talk about our, our church family. We say we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We say things like we're a welcoming church, but what does that actually mean? In Galatians we read, in Galatians 3, in Christ's family there can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Among you, Among us you are all equal. That is, we are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. Friends, whether you've been coming to the church for 512 years, or whether this is the first time you've walked into the place. We are all in a common relationship with Jesus Christ. Also, since you are Christ's family, then you are Abraham's famous descendant, is according to the covenant promises. And when you think of that passage of Scripture, says we're all equal, no division, that we're all welcome. It poses us with a challenge and actually a calling from God to work intentionally on what it means to welcome each other. Jesus himself talks in the Gospels about how loving our neighbours is one of the greatest commandments we can have as loving God and loving others sums up the whole of the Ten Commandments. In the next Gospel, Jesus goes on to explain who our neighbour is when he talks about the parable of the Good Samaritan. But elsewhere in the Bible, we're told to love our neighbours. In both the Old and the New Testament, the idea of loving and welcoming everyone is key to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And key to what it means to be church. 
In James we read about how God has no favourites. Oh, if that was so true in the church. That God has no favourites. And how therefore we are to show no favouritism. Instead, we're encouraged, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right, we read in James. And so this series seeks to explore what a true biblical welcome looks like and how it's far deeper than simply saying hello to somebody when they come through the door on a Sunday morning. That's part of it. But that's just that tip of the iceberg. This series aims to put Jesus at the heart of what it means to welcome others. And so this morning, the the first sermon, we're going to think about how Jesus welcomes us. Because if we're going to look at welcome, if we're going to say, how is that the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Well then, let's look at what Jesus did. That's a good place to start, isn't it? Let's look at what Jesus did and how he welcomed us. Because the truth is, it's all too easy to become insular in our thinking. We... We have the group that we know and like and we stick with them. And in one sense, that's okay, but when that creates an insider-outsider atmosphere, that's where the problem comes. In our last church, even as one of the ministers, I was there for four years, I I never truly felt I belonged. I never truly felt welcomed. It wasn't that no one spoke to me. They did, but they made it clear that there was a group of people who knew each other and had known each other for donkey's years who by and large, they ran the church. And it would be okay, providing I did what they wanted me to do. But the minute I questioned or challenged, well, you're not part of this group. Made to feel like an outsider. And the tension I think we face in church life is that we like to see people we know, and it's okay. I want to give you permission to speak to people you know, okay? That's not what I'm saying. You know, let's not ignore our friends. It's asking ourselves, are we willing to, just on a Sunday for argument's sake, look up and see those who we don't know and truly welcome them? As we think about how Jesus welcomes us, I want us to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through to 11, and we read, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit, Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Loving one another. And working together with one mind and purpose. Now we read read those words all the time. Philippians 2, it's it's, it's a fairly well-known passage. Then make me truly happy, Paul says, by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Do we always do that? Or is it just the time of churches that I've chosen over the last 52 years where that happens? Loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. See, if I'm sure in this passage, right at the start of it, the Apostle Paul gives us a sense of what it is to truly welcome each other. He, he asks us a list of questions. Are, are we encouraged to belong to Jesus? Does it make a difference in our lives? Do we find... Uh, comfort from the love of Jesus when our lives experience difficult moments. Does belonging to Billericay Baptist Church mean anything to you? Do you truly care for others? If the answer to that question is yes and, and is positive, then Paul is saying, then live like it. Always. Don't have, 
have quarrels among you and don't, don't be divided but work hard on one goal and one purpose, one mind with each other. And that is to reach people who do not know Jesus with the love of Jesus. But if we're, if we're always at odds with each other, if there's not truly a welcome in this place, then why on earth would people who don't attend the church or aren't part of the church family want to bother? I don't think I'm the only one who would say that some of the worst struggles and disagreements I've seen in life have been from within the church. I've met some amazing and selfless people, but I have also met some, how how, how do you describe it, some awful people in church life. Really have. The deep hurts I've experienced from people have not been from those who don't know Jesus, but they've been from those who profess to know Jesus Christ. As a minister, I've had some truly terrible things said to me from people who make up the church of Christ. I even had one woman say to me once, I only say these hard and horrible things to people that I love. I said, well, damn me, I'd hate to know what you said to people you don't love then. I've had people ignore me. This is as a minister. Say horrible and deeply harmful things to me about me. I've had people threaten to sue me. I've had slanderous and false letters written about me and sent to a whole host of people. I've had people verbally and mentally abuse me, laugh at my sermons while I'm preaching them, refuse to work with me. All of this from people who say, oh, we're a welcoming church. My answer would be, well, please don't invite anybody because you're awful. It's shocking. I think Paul was on to something. When we say we're a welcoming church, friends, that goes deep. That is, let's not say it if we don't mean it, if we're not working intentionally to be it. I think Paul was on to something. He goes on to say, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. In other words, move from a me mentality to a other or a we mentality. Friends, church is it's not simply about what you like, but rather it's about does this benefit and help others know Jesus? Paul says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. We, all, we often we know that passage. We say you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Allow that to sink in. If that doesn't challenge and scare you, then you're not listening to it. The same attitude that Jesus has. And then Paul lists it. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names and in the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You must have the same attitude as Jesus in how we welcome. Because this passage shows us what Jesus actually did to welcome us. Jen Oshman in her book Welcome says these words. Jesus displayed his heart of welcome when he set out on a rescue mission 2,000 years ago. 
What a distance Jesus travelled. What an incomprehensible divide he crossed in pursuit of you and me. He traded his throne for a manger, his kingly majesty for skin and a frail body, and the transcendence of heaven for the tangibility of walking this earth. So that humans might see him, touch him, and believe in him. But Jesus went further, didn't he? To welcome us into his kingdom. He died on a cross. But not just he died on a cross, he he didn't wait for us to become friends of God. The Bible says that Jesus died while we were still enemies of God. We were still sinners, caught up in the ways of the world, yet Jesus' welcome went even as far as dying for us, even before we knew him. Jen Oshman later on in her book says, this is the greatest scandal in history. No greater divide has ever been crossed in history. No one has ever travelled farther or suffered more to welcome their enemies in. Jesus, the creator and God of the universe, exchanged all the goodness of heaven and joyfully endured the cross so that you and I might become children of God. So when we ask, how did Jesus welcome us? That's how he welcomes us. That's how Jesus welcomes us. That's the welcome that he asks us to show others. And we get all hit up and all a little bit annoyed when we just don't like something that's happening, when a chair is out of place. And somebody is sat in a chair that I like to sit in. I mean, come on, church. Jesus went through all of that to welcome us. That's how we are to welcome others. Because all of that, Paul says, you must have the same attitude as Jesus. Okay, we, we cannot travel to earth. We're not the one who in, sorry to say this, 92 days will be celebrated. 92 days till Christmas Day. It's frightening, isn't it? But we can look at how Jesus welcomed us and have the same attitude in how we welcome others. Because Jesus literally went out of his way. He went out of his way. Do we do the same? So very briefly, three things from this passage that show us how Jesus welcomes us and then what it looks like for us to welcome others. Firstly, Jesus forsake his status. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. As human beings, we know what we know, we like what we know. I've got that saying wrong, haven't I? We know what we like and we like what we know, don't we? It's difficult to try to get us to, to try something different. We laugh at the kids when they turn their nose up at a meal and say they don't like it, even before they've tried it. But then when we get older, we do exactly the same. It's not just with our food, with our routines. Of a morning... I like to have my breakfast with a cup of tea, sat in front watching breakfast TV. I won't watch ITV. Don't ask me why. It's got to be breakfast TV. I don't think it's particularly good, but that's what I do. That's, that's my routine. Don't ask me to change my routine because I know what I like and I like what I know. Many of us will always get our hair done on a Wednesday. Don't know why it's a Wednesday. 
But if we ask somebody, could you change that? What do you mean changing? That's, that's what I do. That's, that's my routine. This week, Jen bought me some fresh ham from the deli counter. And she came home and she said she took a punt because it was orange marmalade ham and I'm not sure if you'd like it. And the minute she said that, I turned my nose up at it. I said, I'm not sure I'm going to like that, darling. I, I'm not a marmalade kind of person. It's, it's not what I do. She said, well, the dog can have it then. <laughs> I said, you paid £4 for that. The dog's not having it. <laughs> so tentatively... I tried it. It was all right, actually. Once I cut the orange marmalade bit off, it was lovely. <laughs> I'd be willing to forsake what I knew. But Jesus forsake, forsook far more than a personal preference to ham. He, he gave up his status as God. You see, to forsake means to, to give up, to forco, to, to, to relinquish. If you think about the Trinity, I you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I I don't think there was this discussion where God the Father said, look, Son and Spirit, this is the situation. One of us needs to leave the throne and we need to go down to earth and we need to sort them all out. It's going to be really tough and all, just to say, you're going to to die a horrible death as well while you're down there. There was no discussion. There was no looking elsewhere, thinking, wishing for somebody else to say, I'll do it. Jesus gave up his divine privileges willingly. He was pleased to do it. Why? Because he wanted to deeply welcome us. He, he saw coming to earth to welcome us as a huge privilege. And for him, it was never a question of should I go or not. What might it look for us to forsake our status to truly welcome someone else? Maybe we have a position in the church or a way of doing things in, in, in the church that work for us. How do we respond when we're asked or challenged to, to change that? Just as an example, you know, that's the chair I like to sit in. I like somebody else sitting in that chair for a day. Let's take this a bit further. Do you know that for most people in the world, a 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning does not work for them for a church service. Because they've got loads of other stuff going on. What about we change the time of our service completely? <gasps> oh dear. That's, that's, that's what we've done. We've done that for 152,000 years. We, we can't change that now. Jesus forsake his status his divine privileges. Yet we have a big to-do when we're asked to do something quite as simple as can we change the time of a service or something. Don't worry, this is not me saying <laughs> laying down the groundwork because in the church meeting on Wednesday I'm going to suggest we change the time of the service. But what if that was the case? Because we felt that's what God was calling us to. You know, do, when we're challenged, friends, do we dig our heels in or do we willingly forsake our status as Jesus did? We have a privileged status as children of God, but if we're not careful, that can cause us to become inward focused as we end up in holy huddles instead of being people who welcome others. Secondly, Jesus became a servant. Jesus didn't come to serve, but to serve. 
He gave up all that he knew. He gave up his very privileged position. And the Bible tells us he became nothing, a, a nobody, a servant, a slave. It would be a bit like King Charles giving up his throne and choosing to live a life of, I don't know, being a cleaner in a Premier Inn hotel or something. Only, it would only be like that because what Jesus gave up was far more than what the greatest king in the whole land might have. And here's the thing, friends. When, when it comes to welcome, we're called by God to do what Jesus did. We're, we're called to, to serve. If we're honest, most of us want to come to church, sit in a nice comfy chair, get given a nice drink and a biscuit, consume the worship like someone who's a paying customer, and just enjoy it. We call people who serve in a church volunteers. And while they are, the word volunteer doesn't come close. When we serve in our church, we're joining with God in what he is doing. And instead of it being a chore, it should be a wonderful privilege and an opportunity to see God in action. But when we say volunteer, what we mean is that person doesn't get paid to do that. And so therefore, if that person decides one day, well, the sun is shining, I, I just I can't be bothered to go today. I'll, 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 I'll just text somebody and say I can't do it. And we pick and choose. I know of a church in America who call their volunteers the dream team. I like that. And they call them the dream team for their task with making the vision, the dream that God has given the leaders of that church happen. The church says the mission of the dream team is to build the body of Christ by each person fulfilling their calling and serving to make an eternal difference. I think that sounds much better than we need some volunteers to help with the coffee rotor. We need some people who are willing to be part of this dream of fulfilling what God has put in front of us to make an eternal difference. Yet often in church life when a request is made we see that we need some help we stun silence and a, a lot of navel-gazing. And hoping somebody else will step up to the plane. Friends, we're, we're called to follow Jesus' example and serve. In what areas could you serve? Maybe, maybe you're able to be part of the coffee rotor. I joked about the coffee rotor, but I think the coffee rotor is amazing. I like tea. I like it when somebody makes me a cup of tea and gives me a biscuit. It's lovely. It's, it's an important thing of it's hospitality. Jesus talks about hospitality. Jesus spent a lot of his time eating and drinking in people's homes. So it's not just a, oh, just one of those little things. Oh, you're, you're just good enough to make coffee. It's an important aspect of serving. Maybe you're, you could do that to, to help each other. Maybe you could stand at the door and welcome people as they arrive. Maybe you feel you're at a point in life where those more practical roles are no longer easy for you but you could be part of a prayer team. I remember a guy in my first church, he was in his mid-80s and he came to me one day in my office and said, Wayne, I think God's calling me to be involved in children's work again. I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't think he is. Because your ideas are perhaps not what the kids want today. Oh, he said. I said, but what God could be calling you to do is to set up a, a prayer network amongst your peers amongst your friends. And that's what he did. 
He wrote it all by hand because he wasn't computer literate. He wrote it all by hand. And he'd bring it down to the church office and he'd get it photocopied. And he got 20, 30 people, all of his generation. And every single week they were praying for everything that was going on in the children and youth work. He would phone the children and the youth workers and he'd say to them, what can I pray for this week? And he'd write it all down. And it was phenomenal. Because it's something that he could do. Where is God calling you to serve? And finally, Jesus humbled himself unto death. It's a nice cheery note to finish, isn't it? Take up your cross and follow Jesus. That's what he says. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It is awe-inspiring that in welcoming us, Jesus was obedient unto death. Jesus gives, us, gives up everything to welcome us, to bring us into relationship with him. And Paul has told us that we're to have the same attitude, the same mindset as Christ. On Wednesday, Jill uh, Hisco is starting a monthly prayer time at her house to pray for the persecuted church. You're very welcome. The details are in the bulletin. People across the world in what we call the persecuted church are literally following Jesus and are humbling themselves even to death. Now, while for us here today, in, in comfortable Billericay, we are unlikely to be called to death for following Jesus. Yet we don't like even being called to be a bit uncomfortable, do we? But there are things that Jesus is calling us to put to death and following him. Selfish behaviours, pride, arrogance, unjust actions, and so on. We're to have the less of me and more of Christ's attitude in our lives. It's very easy to become proud and in doing so allow that to rule in our hearts. And yet to humble ourselves means we put all of that to death. When we decide to follow Jesus, we live out the words of Ezekiel 36. When we say, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Friends, not only does Jesus show us how he welcomes us and therefore how we are to welcome others, but if we will submit to him, he gives us a new heart, a new passion to do these things. So as we close, how are you doing on all of this? As I was preparing, I thought to myself, it all seems a bit hard, really. I want to welcome like Jesus, but I keep messing up and I fail to hit the mark. I want to say, don't stress about this stuff. It's an ongoing, evolving journey and God will help us. After all, Jesus came down to earth so he has no intention of leaving us on our own to sort all this stuff out. But where can you be more mindful and seek to offer a welcome like Jesus in the church, but also in your daily life? I don't know, maybe being nice to the doctor's receptionist who makes your blood boil because she's so rude. Sorry if you're a doctor's receptionist. They're not all like it. Maybe allowing the person who has pushed in front of you in the supermarket to carry on and just offer them a smile of welcome because you never knew what kind of day they're having. Maybe it's giving somebody some slack. My wife, Jem, she went to the pharmacist this week for her flu jab. 
and the woman behind the, the counter, not the pharmacist, the woman who welcomed her, wasn't particularly nice. And she looked her in the eye and said, you're over 65. She's 41, Jenny's. I said, Jen, what did you say? She said, well, she, said, she could have had a bad day, couldn't she? I went into a shop this week to, to buy some bulbs, not garden bulbs, light bulbs. And I picked up the packet of bulbs and I went to the till and she pinged them in and they were four pounds more expensive than the ticket had said that they were. So I said, oh, I thought they were eight pounds, not twelve pounds. Bulbs are so expensive, aren't they, these days? I thought they were eight pounds, not twelve pounds. Only four. She called the manager. I went upstairs. No, he said they're twelve pounds. So I went up and I, the manager was, was there and the bulbs are there and it clearly says £8. Yeah, no, but they've been in the wrong place. They should be by there. So well, that's not my fault, is it? She's supposed to give me them now for, for £8. And he took the bulbs and he said, well, what if I took the bulbs and I put them on a lamp? Do I then give you the price of the bulbs for the lamp? I said, no, you're being a bit ridiculous. Give us a whole stack of bulbs. And he was so rude and so annoying and it ruined most of my Friday. And then God reminded me of the sermon I was preaching today. <laughs> and I got all et up with him. I said, that's it, what's your name? I'm going to write to Dunham Mill. And then I thought to myself, Wayne, get over yourself, it's four quid. What is the matter with you, man? For you know, that guy could be having managers on his back. He could have a new baby could be... All sorts of stuff could be going on in his life. And you're acting like this over four pounds. Do you know the stupid thing? I got them over and they didn't even work. I got taken back. <laughs> That's God's way of, of saying to me, go on, now go and face him. You know, go on. Are you with me, church? Can you see where I'm coming at? Maybe... Welcoming is being willing to sing that new song in church, even though you don't really like it, but to encourage whoever is leading worship and not to get all het up because it's not like worship when you were younger. Friends, Jesus welcomed all of us. None of us deserve the sort of welcome that Jesus gives us. So let's ask God to help us in offering a similar welcome to others that we meet. And for us as a church, let's aim to be the church that is known for its welcome, not known because its members say we welcome others. Let's be a body of people who make the effort to forsake ourselves, are willing to truly serve others, and are willing to be humble and allow things not of Jesus to die within us. Let's allow Jesus to be at the heart of all that we do to welcome others into the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just want to say thank you. Words don't come close for what you went through to welcome every single one of us into relationship with you. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Forgive us when we, we don't get this stuff right. 
Forgive us when it's more of me and less of you. May we truly have less of us and more of you. Not just in situations that we're comfortable with and with people that we know. But with the stranger. With the person who doesn't say things the way we feel they should say them. With people outside in our daily lives. May we be known as sons and daughters of the living God. And may we ask you to help us to have the same attitude as Jesus in how we live this stuff out. And through him we pray. Amen.